the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. When Jesus, when Messiah is in the equation, even your past is now erased and your legacy is in Jesus. As far as God is concerned, your past is gone. And so since the life you live will be the legacy that you leave, then live a life for Christ and let his life define your legacy. Judah's not known for any of these things. Dad steps up and all he sees in his son Judah is the future Messiah. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Genesis. For many Christians, the life we live before coming to Christ is filled with shameful details. Yet the Bible is filled with examples of ordinary people who, after turning towards God and recognizing the Messiah, leave a legacy of faith and truth. Today, Pastor Gary explains that when we give our lives to Christ, our pasts are erased and our legacies are in Jesus. And since the life we live will be the legacy that we leave, we should strive to live a life that pleases God and is a testimony of truth, love, and beauty to the world. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary for today's message entitled, The Legacy We Leave. Well, let's turn in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 49. First book of the Bible, chapter 49. We are going to conclude our study through Genesis today. It's been a 10-month journey going through Genesis. We'll continue with Exodus, Lord willing, next week as we once again make our way entirely through the Bible. Because of today's announcement and the extra celebration of worship, the time is a little limited for me, so this might feel more like a devotional than a full-on teaching. But I am reminded of the words of Alistair Begg. Alistair Begg... uh, I had an opportunity last year to spend some time with him. We had a bit of a road trip together, and uh, he said something. How many of you follow the ministry of Alistair Begg on the radio? Let me see your hands. Parkside Church in Cleveland, Ohio. Great Scottish man. So I'll try to give to you what he said to me in the best Scottish I have, all right? He said to me, Gary, he said, a sermon is to be like a miniskirt. It should be short enough to get your attention, but long enough to cover the subject. So, that's what I hope to do today. 
Short enough to get your attention, long enough to cover the subject. By the way, Alistair's going to be with us for a midweek service Wednesday, October the 3rd. So you can write that down. He'll be here. I know you can't take me seriously half the time, but seriously, he will be here Wednesday, October the 3rd. All right. There's one particular theme, though, that in these last closing chapters the Lord has laid on my heart, and this is the simple theme. The life you live will be the legacy you leave. The life you live will be the legacy you leave. As we come to the final chapters of the book of Genesis, we we find that Joseph dies in chapter 50 at the age of 110, and that his father Jacob dies in chapter 49 at the age of 147. It is somewhat ironic when you think about the emphasis of death in the final few chapters of Genesis, the emphasis of creation and life in the opening chapters of Genesis. It is a reflection, it is a grim reminder to us of how sin has spoiled the human race and that it ultimately leads to death. But thank God we have a Redeemer whose name is Jesus. And what we find in chapter 49 that we'll focus on primarily today is that before Jacob dies at the age of 147, this great patriarch, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he has 12 sons. And in his final hours before he dies, he is going to pronounce upon each of these 12 sons a particular word that is both paternal and prophetic in nature. As this dying patriarch, he is going to individually look at each of his 12 sons in the eyes and he is going to pronounce upon them something that usually, when you look at the text, is influenced by the lives that his sons have lived up to this point. In other words, the way that his sons have lived have everything to do with the legacy that they will leave. And dad is going to point in particular to one or two things that each of these boys is known for as he pronounces his final words of blessing and sometimes rebuke upon these 12 sons. It is the equivalent, if you would, somewhat like the reading of a will today. After someone dies, family gathers around, the will is read. In the ancient Jewish culture, when a father, a patriarch, knew that he was near death, instead of something being read after he dies, before he dies, he gives these final pronouncements over his sons in particular and blesses or rebukes them based on the lives that they have lived because that is the legacy that they will leave. He starts in birth order. He starts with Reuben, who's the oldest of the 12 sons, and he concludes with Benjamin, who is the youngest. And I want you to notice again that What he says is largely influenced by the lives that they have lived with one exception. There's one son who is an exception to this rule, and I'll save that to the very end because it's an important exception that kind of brings light to the whole chapter. But I'm going to start with verse 1 of chapter 49, and I'm only going to highlight a couple of the sons, uh, obviously in the interest of time as well. But verse 1 says, Then Jacob called for his sons and said, Gather around so I can tell you what will happen to you in days to come. Assemble and listen, sons of Jacob. Listen to your father Israel. And remember, Jacob had his name changed by God to Israel when God wrestled with Jacob. No longer will he be known as Jacob, Jacob, deceiver. You shall be known as Israel, meaning governed by God. And here's the first pronouncement to the oldest son, Reuben, verse 3. He says, Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, the first sign of my strength, excelling in honor, excelling in power. Now, when you pause there, you can imagine that here all these sons are crowded around their aging father, and Reuben's chest is probably a little puffed up hearing this part, right? You're my firstborn, strength, power, might. It turns sour in verse 4. 
Jacob says to his son Reuben, Turbulent as the waters, you will no longer excel, for you went up onto your father's bed, onto my couch, and defiled it. He says, Reuben, there's one thing that stands out in your life, and this is going to be what defines you. This will now be the legacy that you leave. And it's not a good legacy. What happened is recorded for us in Genesis chapter 35, and I'll summarize it. Reuben had sex with one of his father's wives. Now, Jacob had four wives. That was never God's will. Polygamy was never God's will, though you see it often in the Old Testament. God made it clear in Genesis 2, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. It was never God's will that a man should take on more than one wife. And Jacob was in disobedience, but he had four wives. Reuben slept with one of the four wives of Jacob, not Reuben's mother. Reuben's mother was Leah. The woman that he slept with was Bilhah. But what made it even worse than the fact that it's bad enough, it's sexual sin, Reuben took advantage of his father's grief. Because in Genesis 35, it says that Reuben went up and had relations with Bilhah when his father Jacob was mourning over the death of the real wife that he loved more than the others. And that was Rachel. Rachel died giving birth to Benjamin, the youngest of the twelve. And Jacob was in grief mourning over the death of Rachel. And while that was going on, Reuben said, well, I see that my dad has checked out with his grief. I will now take advantage and have sex with his wife, Bilhah. And that becomes the one thing for which this guy will be known. This is the legacy that he's going to be known for. You're the one who went up to your father's bed and defiled and had sexual relations with one of his wives. He's going to be defined by lust. It was unbridled lust. How many people, I ask, how many people do you know who have lost their families, their jobs, their reputations because they were never able to reign in the problem of lust? This is the legacy that Reuben leaves. It's a legacy of lust. It's a tragic legacy. It doesn't get any better. Jacob moves on to his other sons in birth order. Simeon and Levi in verse 5, he says to them, and he bunches the two together because they both committed the same problem that he's going to address here in the legacy that they leave. Verse 5, he says, Simeon and Levi are brothers. Their swords are weapons of violence. Let me not enter their council. Let me not join their assembly. For they have killed men in their anger and hamstrung oxen as they pleased. Cursed be their anger so fierce and their fury so cruel. I will scatter them in Jacob and disperse them in Israel. Now notice, Jacob has gotten through addressing Reuben and now Simeon and Levi, so three out of the twelve sons. I imagine the other nine boys are sitting around going, oh great, what's in store for me? Dad's feeling a little grumpy today. Well, Dad, Dad's not grumpy. Dad is pointing out the things that these guys are going to be known for. And the problem here with Simeon and Levi, notice the words violence in verse 5, anger in verse 6, anger again in verse 7, fury so cruel in verse 7. Now, what's this talking about? Well, what he's referring to is events that happened in Genesis 34. And what happened in Genesis 34 is that Simeon and Levi's sister, Dinah, was tragically, horribly raped. They were living in Shechem. And one of the Shechemite men raped Dinah, and Simeon and Levi are going to get even. Now, there's nothing wrong with justice, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. The problem is that Simeon and Levi went beyond, above and beyond. They didn't just go after the one guy that raped their sister. They killed the entire town of all the men. And here's how they did it. They stooped to a real low point in doing this. Here's what they did. After their sister had been raped, Simeon and Levi go to the Shechemites and they invent this ruse. And they say to the Shechemite men, hey, 
we don't appreciate you took advantage of our sister, but it must mean that you find the Israelite women attractive. And so we want to enter into a deal with you guys. Here's what we want to do. How about we allow you to marry the Israelite women and we can marry the Shechemite women and we just kind of intermarry. Do you like this? And the Shechemite guys are like, yeah, we like this. And then Simeon and Levi say, okay, well, here's the only problem. The only problem is we're Jewish. We're children of the covenant of Abraham. You guys aren't. The Shechemites were just pagan, heathen people. And so Simeon and Levi said, and as a sign of the covenant given to us by Abraham, uh, we're all circumcised. So if you want to intermarry with our women, you all have to be circumcised. Now, I believe that the Israelite women must have been hot because the Shechemite men don't bat an eye. They're like, you want us to be circumcised? All right, cut away. They don't even care. They don't even, they don't stop to ask a single question. They don't even ask, you want to cut where? They, I mean, you have to remember circumcision is completely foreign to this culture. And they ask that, what? They ask no questions. They don't ask, is this covered by my insurance? Nothing. Let me see the rabbi. Is his hand steady? None of this. They don't ask a single question. They're like schoolboys who've been asked by the prom queen on a date. They're like, yeah, all right, we like this. We don't care what it costs us or what it involves. We, we like the idea. And so they are all circumcised, all the Shechemite men. On the third day, as they are recovering from their pain, that's when Simeon and Levi go in wielding a sword and slaughter all the men. So it's not only that they do what is beyond and above in the fury and their anger with indiscriminate slaughter, but then they also take advantage of people in their misery to kill them. So these two guys are going to be known now for their anger, for their violence. Again, there's, there's nothing wrong with justice, but they went beyond justice and they just indiscriminately slaughtered all the men of this town. And for that, they shall now be known. Dad says, you guys are full of violence and anger. The lives that you have lived will now be the legacy you leave. You're going to leave a legacy of anger because that's what defined your life. First three guys here. Lust defines Reuben. Anger defines Simeon and Levi. Now, it does get better. In fact, I'll ask you to jump ahead to verse 22 because it's in verse 22 that Jacob pronounces blessings upon Joseph. Joseph is the guy we've been studying over the last many weeks who dominates the last fourth of the book of Genesis. He is, again, the model example of godliness and integrity. And notice that when dad gets to Joseph, second youngest, he pronounces six times the word blessing upon this son. Notice verse 22. He says, Joseph is a fruitful vine, a fruitful vine near a spring whose branches climb over a wall. With bitterness, archers attacked him. They shot at him with hostility. This is probably a reference to the way that his brothers betrayed him and sold him into slavery. He says in verse 24, But his bow remained steady. His strong arm stayed limber because of the hand of the mighty one of Jacob, because of the shepherd, the rock of Israel, because of your father's God who helps you, because of the Almighty who blesses you with blessings of the heavens above, blessings of the deep that lies below, blessings of the breast and womb. Your father's blessings are greater than the blessings of the ancient mountains, than the bounty of the age-old hills. Let all these rest on the head of Joseph, on the brow of the prince among his brothers. And this is the longest pronouncement of any of the twelve sons. And you notice with me here that again, Joseph has lived a stellar life. He's been a model example of godliness and integrity in the face of betrayal and temptation. And what will he be known for? He's going to be known for being the blessed man that he is. Because the life that you live is the legacy that you will leave. 
And when you look at this together, what happens with Reuben and Simeon and Levi and Joseph, it seems again to suggest in the text that if you've lived a life of sin and lived a life of compromise and wickedness, that's what you'll be known for. But if you live a life of godliness and holiness and integrity, that's what you will be known for. Now, for some of you who have up to this point been living a pretty good life and your character and reputation is intact and and you love the Lord and, and you don't have a checkered past, why a Bible study like this is helpful for you. But then for others of you who feel like, man, I've done some things, some shameful things. I don't even want to talk about things I've done. I don't want to be known for that. Is that what I'm to glean from today's study? No, in fact, the beautiful exception to all of this is found in the pronouncement over the son Judah. Go back earlier in the chapter to verse 8. I want you to notice what dad Jacob says over his son Judah and that what he describes here are messianic passages one after another. What dad sees in Judah is not what Judah has done up to this point, but what he sees is prophetically Messiah that shall come through the line of Judah. Verse 8. Dad says, Judah... Your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. You are a lion's cub, O Judah. You return from the prey, my son, like a lion. Notice this. Jesus is often referred to as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Here's this messianic reference. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down. Like a lioness who dares to rouse him. Verse 10. The scepter will not depart from Judah. The scepter, the sign of royalty, the sign of kingship will not depart from Judah. Now, the near interpretation of this prophetic statement that that Jacob pronounces upon Judah is David. David is a descendant of Judah. He is the one who holds the royal scepter. He is the king who is most exalted in biblical text. And yet the ultimate fulfillment will be in Jesus. Because when you read on, look at what it says. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he comes to whom it belongs. And the obedience of the nations is his. That didn't happen under David. It'll happen under Jesus. Verse 11. He will tether his donkey to a vine, his colt to the choicest branch. This is a prophetic uh, word concerning Palm Sunday. And then he adds, he will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. Isaiah 63, verses 2 through 3. It's another messianic passage that talk about the stain of the garments of Messiah. Verse 12, his eyes will be darker than wine, his teeth whiter than milk. We also see in Revelation 19, the stain of the garments of Messiah when Jesus returns and tramples the fury of his wrath in the winepress. And all of this messianic stuff in reference to Judah. No reference to what Judah has done, good or bad only pretty much exclusively a reference to the coming Messiah. And why? Because about 1,800 years after this, Jesus will be born from the line of Judah. Now think about this. Of all the 12 sons, you have the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. These 12 sons make up the 12 tribes of Israel. The nation of Israel is made up of these descendants from these 12 sons until eventually among them Messiah comes. And I ask you, if you had to pick one of the 12 sons through whom you would think Messiah should come, wouldn't it be Joseph? Joseph, the spotless guy, the one who was full of integrity and character in the midst of all kinds of difficulties. But that's not the guy that God chose. God didn't choose Joseph. He didn't choose Reuben. He didn't choose Simeon or Dan or Naphtali or Ephraim. He chose Judah. Now, just so that you know why this is incredibly an honorable thing, 
Judah has his own checkered past. In Genesis 37, the brother that came up with the idea to sell Joseph into slavery was Judah. It was Judah's idea. We should just trade Joseph into slavery. Let's just get rid of this guy. And as soon as they had all washed their hands of Joseph, Judah then, in chapter 38 of Genesis, he moves to another region where he takes a Canaanite woman as his wife. The Canaanite women, they were forbidden to take Canaanite women because they were pagan, they were heathens, they worshipped Baal and Ashtoreth and foreign gods. But nevertheless, Judah takes a Canaanite woman, has three sons by her. The first two sons, the Bible says in Genesis 38, God just kills. They're grown men, but it says in the text that they did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and God just smoked them. It doesn't even say what they did. It had to have been horrible that it doesn't even mention in the Bible what they did. But that just goes to show, what kind of legacy is Judah leaving? He's got two of his three kids here have been killed by God. And one of those boys, one of those young men now was married. After he dies, he leaves a widow, Tamar, who is the daughter-in-law, obviously, then, of Judah. Now, Tamar, in that culture, didn't want to be destitute as a widow. So here's what she does. It isn't right, but this is what she does. She dresses herself up and pretends to be a prostitute. And she goes and she sits on the side of the road. And who do you think happens to be walking along during business hours? It's Judah, the father-in-law. And he has a conversation that I can only imagine because I don't speak out of any experience whatsoever. <laughs> How much is the going rate, all that kind of stuff. They have the dialogue. He sleeps with her. Now, which is worse, that you're sleeping with your daughter-in-law that you didn't know was your daughter-in-law or that you're sleeping with a prostitute? I mean, it's all bad all the way around. But when it, you note about this guy's life and his character, it's, it's not great. He's the guy that hatches the plan. Let's betray Joseph. Let's sell him into slavery. He's the guy that is sleeping with his daughter-in-law that he thinks is a prostitute. And yet none of that is written in this legacy of chapter 49. And why is that? Because what it seems to suggest to me is when Jesus, when Messiah is in the equation, even your past is now erased and your legacy is in Jesus. As far as God is concerned, your past is gone. And so since the life you live will be the legacy that you leave, then live a life for Christ and let his life define your legacy. Judah's not known for any of these things. Dad steps up and all he sees in his son Judah is the future Messiah. And that's what God sees in you. When you accept Christ as your Savior, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, it is now Jesus Christ in you, the hope of glory. He's the one now that gives you a new identity in Him so that when people look at you, they won't see your past. Instead, they're going to see, wow, Jesus changed your life. Jesus has done something incredible in you. You are remarkably different because of Jesus, and they may not even articulate it that way, but what they're observing in you is a life that has been changed by Jesus, and thus now your legacy that you leave is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Isn't that what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17? Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, all things become new. And that's what God sees in us. He sees that redemptive work of his son Jesus in our lives. So yeah, without Jesus, the life you live will be the legacy that you leave. But with Jesus, now because of what he's done in your life, 
the life you live will be the legacy he's given you to leave. And people will notice you are different and you are changed because you've been bought and you've been transformed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Speaking through the prophet Isaiah, the Lord said, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who trusts will never be dismayed. What is this cornerstone? Or better yet, who is this cornerstone? Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, is that cornerstone. And it's our desire to honor and glorify Jesus through the teachings that you hear each day on Cornerstone Connection. Cornerstone Connection is the teaching ministry of Pastor Gary Hemrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. You can get a free downloadable copy of today's teaching at our website. Simply log on to cornerstoneconnection.cc. It's our hope that you're attending a local church that teaches God's Word from beginning to end. If you don't currently have a church home and live in the Northern Virginia area, we encourage you to join us in person for worship. For service times, driving directions, and more information, log on to cornerstoneconnection.cc. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Please join us next time as we continue through the book of Genesis. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.